It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hey, you're listening to Green and Growing right here on 95.5 WSB. And can you believe it's one week from Christmas, folks? So thanks for being here. I know your weekends are full. And someone else who I managed to wrangle away from his ever-busy job, Dr. David Coyle has been on the show before, Assistant Professor of Forest Health and Invasive Species uh, just up the road at Clemson University. You've got a Ph.D. in entomology. Of course, a lot of background in forestry. Biology is where you got your start as a little old young college fella. Hey, Dr. Coyle, what's up? <laughs> hey, Ashley, good morning. I appreciate being called young. That doesn't happen very often, so thank you for that. <laughs> well, I won't say the year in which you got your bachelor's in biology, <laughs> but we'll just we'll just keep it. At, you know, the work you do now at Clemson is super fantastic. You have taught the listeners here on the show so much, and I have been just chomping at the bits for the last few weeks to congratulate you on the article about Bradford Pears in which you were featured in the New York Times. Yes, thank you. Thank you. That was a long time coming. And I've been working with that reporter since spring of 2020. He came to wow. a, one of our Bradford Pear Bounty programs. Then, of course, COVID hit and things got sort of delayed, but we kept in touch. Uh, a few more phone, email, or phone and email interviews, and then he visited one more time just earlier this fall. And then the article came out. So it was a good good treat and a nice surprise. So great. So the article in the New York Times written back around the week of Thanksgiving and in, in the New York Times by Rick Rojas. And he says the Bradford pear was a very popular and seemingly perfect tree that came to symbolize the suburbanation of the South before becoming an unwieldy menace. And so he wrote about how this villain emerged and the work by scientists in South Carolina to fight it. And you've really been at the forefront of that, Dr. Coyle, and I know you've got a great team behind you, but for people who haven't heard you on the show before, what is the problem with the Bradford pear? The Bradford pear, you know, to the, I guess, the people that are just out there doing their thing, it just looks like this nice, pretty tree in the landscape. It's got this nice lollipop shape, beautiful white flowers in the spring. Yeah, fall, it turns this nice, bright crimson red color. So it is a very pretty tree. The problem is it tends to break apart if you look at it funny or if the wind blows or if it rains heavy you know once it gets to be 15 20 25 years old their structure is just really poor for a tree and if you've ever looked at one of these things without the leaves on you notice all the branches almost just go straight up and so the the steeper that branch angle the more unstable they are so lots of breakage once they get into the wild, now these trees were marketed as sterile, meaning if you just have Bradford pears, they can't pollinate themselves or another Bradford pear. But any other pyrus, any other pear type of tree can pollinate it, and then you get seeds that are viable, and then birds eat them and animals eat them. They spread them out into the wildlands, and that's why in the springtime, if you're driving around the Carolinas or Georgia, you see these white flowering trees mm-hmm. all over the sides of the road. Those are the wild cousins of Bradford pear called calorie pear and those have these big thorns they they pr- produce these great big thickets that sort of crowds everything else out and they're just uh, you know as Rick said they're a menace. I've had uh, listeners who say that the thorns on those are so tough that they've popped tractor tires. We have a lot of people tell us that yeah. car tires trailer tires tractor tires it's unbelievable how tough they are I've had them poke me through leather gloves Ew. Um, it's just, yeah, they're really nasty things. So tell me one more time which which way this goes. So if I have a regular pear tree or two or three in my yard, 
and then a Bradford pear over in the neighbor's yard. Which way does it pollinate or not pollinate? The pollen from the non-Bradford pears, whether that's a regular pear tree or a different cultivar of a flowering pear, will go to, you know, bees and, and pollinators will take it to the Bradford pear, and then that will allow that Bradford pear fruits to be viable and able to produce a new tree. Okay. Wow. And, you know, a lot of people in suburbia, I do notice, are finally starting to cut these down uh, for a multiple number of reasons, really. They split easy. They drop their branches. They have suckers. Um, I mean, yeah, they look good for maybe, what, two or three weeks in the spring. Otherwise, they're a menace. Um, They have a terrible smell to them, which genetically, I've never smelled it. I can't smell it, but I trust everyone else's word for that. Yeah, it's it's pungent, and it's got a lot of really colorful descriptors out there. If you you get online, people have all sorts of things they describe it as, but it's very pungent, and uh, I'm good for you if you can't smell it. That must be <laughs> something like the asparagus deal, right? Where exactly. Got a I can smell it, and it's just gross. Ah, uh, <laughs> so we don't like these, and in in fact, you all have done so much work. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the state of South Carolina is the first one of all 50 states to really get legislation involved behind this? We're the second. Ohio beat us. They beat us by a year, and then we are the second one that has outlawed the sale and purchase of these starting on October 124. And Delaware, I believe, just passed similar legislation, and I know there are several other states where this is in process. So nothing nothing set yet, but there's a bunch of other states that have this sort of in the, you know, moving through the the wheels of government there. So congratulations to you guys and to Ohio for really maybe, you know, trailblazing this and setting a trend. And then for folks who haven't heard you on the show before, I'm I'm speaking with Dr. David Coyle at Clemson University. We're going to get into invasive species here in just a moment, but still talking about the Bradford pears, Uh, the bounty program that you guys have kind of encouraging folks, hey, plant something else. The popularity has been more than I ever thought it would be, but we encourage people to cut down their Bradford pear come to one of our programs and then show us a picture of that tree that has been killed and we will give them a free native replacement tree. That's fantastic. And so how long will that run? I mean, are y'all doing that for the foreseeable future for now? Yeah, it's the popularity, like I said, has been off the charts. We've got three spots, uh, three locations set for spring of 23. We've got one or two maybe set for fall of 20, uh, sorry, 22. Uh, we've already got spring of 23 filled up, so we're we're about two years out booking these things already. That is fantastic. Now, to play devil's advocate, you know, I mean, there's always two sides to every story. So I do want to ask, uh, by banning the sale of these by 2024, will that hurt anybody in the industry or is that going to affect anybody in a negative way? And if so, how are we kind of working with them? Yeah, good question. We reached out to lots of industry folks during this whole process. This process took us almost two years to get enacted, and we reached out to all sorts of different industry types in South Carolina, horticulturalists, the fruit tree growers, you know, Pyrus calorian is used as a rootstock quite a bit. Uh, we don't believe it's going to have a major impact. You know, the folks that are growing bees, one of the concessions we as scientists had to make was give it a couple, three years to exhaust their stock, and then they just won't plant anymore. That's why this won't take effect till 24. Not too many people in South Carolina are using this as a rootstock. There were a couple, but, you know, there are replacement uh, rootstocks that can be used. So it's just encouraging them to switch over. So our goal is not to 
make anybody broke, right? Our goal is not to wreck businesses. Our goal is to try to do something right for the environment. And we took everyone's thoughts into consideration when we did this. And that's how we came up with our plan. Fantastic and very forward thinking in this. Um, And the last time I had you on the show, we did spend a little bit of time talking about invasive species. And it was the year of being on the lookout for the Asian longhorned beetle. I believe y'all had a campaign behind that. And the spotted lanternfly, which the last I read was from, you know, Penn State Extension. And I'm not quite sure that it's made its way to South Carolina and Georgia. But what can you tell us about those two guys? Should we be worried? Uh, we feel so. Let me say, I feel like we've got Asian longhorn beetle at least contained. I don't think it's going to go anywhere, uh, you know, barring some sort of crisis activity. But you know, it's down there in South Carolina. We're working really hard to eradicate it. We're we're doing the standard cut the tree and chip it removal thing. But we're also trying to investigate some different tactics. You know, there's a lot of swampy areas in South Carolina with uh, with Asian longhorn beetle that we just can't get those tree those chippers in. So we're looking at some methods where maybe we just cut the tree down and we'll see how fast it. Some, in some cases, it's going to rot fast enough to kill the beetles inside there. So mm. lots of work with ALB, nothing, nothing new to report at this point. Uh, lanternfly, you know, yeah, we don't have that yet. My professional opinion is it will get here at some point. It's been expanding its range pretty heavily the last couple of years. They've found it in North Carolina several times, not an established population, but they found individuals. You know, they travel pretty well on things. Uh, I think the best thing South Carolina and Georgia can do right now is just be prepared. You know, we've had lots of meetings with the regulatory and the research folks, and we're just trying to have everybody get all your ducks in a row and be ready because when it gets here, and I do think it's a when, not an if, um, you know, we've got to be ready to, to do what we can about it. Yeah, now the Asian longhorned beetle, really long antennas, kind of a little black and white guy that'll bore a hole into the side of a tree, and oftentimes, you know, sap will ooze out of that. The spotted lanternfly, that's worth a Google, too, because it, it's kind of pretty. I mean, it's like a big moth, but the way that came about, Dr. Coyle, was so funny. I shared with the listeners months ago, back in, like, September, I think it was a, a state fair entry by a student in Kansas. He had just spotted this bug, made it part of his project, and people started going, oh, gosh. Oh, gosh, that's the spotted lanternfly that's here in Kansas. Yeah, that's, you know, if there's any good news about spotted lanternfly, it is ridiculously obvious. Yeah. You know, there's nothing else that looks like it. And they've even looked at some, uh, you know, public reports, and the public is ninety like 95% correct when they say, hey, I have a spotted lanternfly. They're almost always right because it's just so unique in how it looks. And, you know, that is the one good thing we have is that when someone thinks they see a lanternfly, they report it. It usually is. So we don't have a lot of false positives to chase around. So there's that. At least there's that, I guess. Yeah, right. If there's anything good that comes of it, it is it is a definite identification on those guys. Well, listen, Dr. Coyle, I just want to wrap up the year. Glad to have you on. And thank you for what you've done for my show this year. You've been a tremendous help. And I, I'm looking forward to working with you in 2020. Hopefully no new invasive species, but we can keep folks up to date on what they do need to look out for. Yeah, thanks, Ashley. I appreciate it. Always fun to come on. So thanks for having me again. All right. Have a Merry Christmas. And hey, before you run off, how can folks follow you on social media? You can find me uh, at Dr. Dave Coyle, D-R-D-A-V-E-C-O-Y-L-E, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you need uh, advice on anything, I'm very easily Googleable. Googleable. <laughs> Coyle at Clemson.edu. Happy to help. And not just helpful and not just smart, but the guy's pretty funny on Twitter, too, I must say. You and I have some good back and forth on Twitter. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, well, enjoy your weekend. Thanks again.
Thanks, Ashley. Take care. All right. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. In just a few minutes, we'll be back with the top three things to do in the landscape this weekend. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. It's got late. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Here's Ashley. Taking your garden questions, 404-872-0750. Also, your Christmas traditions, memories of things that you did as a child or even things you're doing with your family. Now, I'm here until 9 o'clock this morning. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Showers throughout the day, 80% chance for rain, likely where you are. High of 70, though, low around 49. Clearing skies tomorrow. It's going to be a little more pleasant, high around 56 and low around 38, and stay tuned. Uh, meteorologist Brad Nitz in for Christina Edwards with the rest of your forecast in less than 10 minutes. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right, so keep the poinsettias happy. That's number one. Any of the houseplants, really, only water them when the soil is dry. You'll know by sticking your finger in the top of, top of the soil. You don't need to overwater these things. Don't leave them in standing water. Be sure to let the pot drain once you give it a good deep watering. And don't have them by extreme heat or cold. So that would be obviously right on top of a vent. Um, as you've got the heat on in the house, which you may not for a couple of days because it'll be pretty warm, or drafty doors and windows when it gets cold outside. Number two, a lofty goal for the weekend and the week maybe, but making your own mulch. You just rent a chipper shredder, turn small branches and woody perennial stems into mulch, and that's a good way to kind of clean the debris out of the yard as well. And number three, complete protection of trees, especially the new ones that you've planted this time of year. This is the best time of year to install new trees and shrubs, protecting them from damage for the deer, uh, the bucks that are rubbing their antlers on your trees and really ripping off the bark, even mouse damage. I don't know if that's as much of a big deal, but using wire, mesh, trunk guards, uh, any kind of little fencing, just temporary to protect the tree, even getting creative with PVC piping uh, to protect trees that the girth of the trunk isn't that big around. 404-872-0750 had a caller, Steve and Marietta, uh, sharing a Christmas tradition. And unfortunately, since 2019, it will no longer be a tradition for a lot of families. But the Riches Pink Pig, yeah, I've been here long enough to know that it started uh, with the department store Riches back in the 50s. I wasn't here when it started, but uh, and then soon became the Macy's Pink Pig. And unfortunately, they announced its retirement last year. It took 2020 off uh, because of the pandemic and not coming back. So that was a tradition for a lot of families for over 50 years. What a cool memory to be part of that. It moved to Lenox Square Mall. And a lot of families got to be part of that. And also, Steve had a question about ash tree destruction. And I know exactly what invasive bug affects ash trees. I will tell you all about it. That kind of goes along the lines of what we were speaking with Dr. David Coyle about from Clemson University. And your Christmas traditions, you've got time to call 404-872-0750. I'm Ashley Frasca. It's green and growing right here on WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. 
7.36 on a Saturday morning. Can you believe it's going to get up to 70 degrees today? It's going to be warm right now, already almost 62 degrees in Midtown Atlanta. So we love that. But uh, you're waking up to some soggy conditions, showers throughout the day. Don't worry, it's going to be clearing off tomorrow if you have outdoor plans. Welcome to Green and Growing. I'm Ashley Frasca, the host of the show. Uh, Monday through Friday, if you're up early driving to or from work or school, uh, you hear me with triple team traffic Monday through Friday with Smile and Mark McKay in the helicopter trying to get you around town and uh, get there safely during Atlanta's morning news until 9 o'clock. And Saturdays, I joke, I get to sleep in. Uh, during the week, I get up at 3 a.m. And on Saturdays, I get up at 4.30 to be here with you beginning at 6 o'clock here until 9 and, of course, followed by Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It show. So today, of course, taking garden questions and calls as always, 404-872-0750, but also uh, calls about your Christmas traditions. I love that we've already had a few folks call um, Patsy and Joe out in Conyers celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary today and talking about traditions of keeping change, uh, spare change throughout the year, and then giving that money to the grandkids to go buy toys for Toys for Tots. I think that was a fantastic idea. And Johnny from Clarksville, Georgia, who uh, I really think was Santa Claus uh, in disguise, uh, has a pilot's license, and he and his dad both carry on the tradition of flying um, toys to charities that need them to make sure that children have toys on Christmas Day. I think that's pretty fantastic. Um, 404-872-0750. And Steve was the latest one remembering the pink pig, uh, the Rich's pink, pink pig, which later became the Macy's pink pig in Atlantic Square uh, in the later years. And Priscilla, Priscilla was the name of the pig, in case you don't remember. Atlanta natives, they know this. They're, they're yelling at the radio. Um, Steve had to go, but had a question about ash trees um, and their destruction. And I'm glad he was thinking that way because uh, to start off the hour, talked to Dr. David Coyle, uh, Clemson University, entomology and forest health and all of that. And we've had him on the show before talking about invasive species. And we talked about Bradford pears, which I'll get to that. But yeah, he has talked about emerald ash borer on the show before. Um, Since it was discovered in the U.S., I think in the early 2000s, it has killed literally hundreds of millions of ash trees um, and just decimated any ash tree population. Uh, the beetle is like an iridescent kind of green color. He's been found in most of the states here in the United States. Um, one of the symptoms that you'll notice, um, not limited to ash trees, but more than likely uh, to destroy ash trees, a D-shaped exit hole um, is where they're coming out of the bark. And you'll see it. It is. It's, it's shaped like a D with one side being flat. Um, the bark is stripped. Um, you'll kind of notice the damage when the canopy starts to look thin and branch die back, you know, from the tips down back to the trunk, Um, usually beginning at the top of the tree. The bark is stripped. It's splitting, all those kinds of things, emerald ash borer. And uh, a lot of the universities are working to, you know, educate folks about that and also kind of keep it at bay. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's an invasive species uh, from China, it was thought in the late 1990s, early 2000s to have come in cargo ships from China with the wooden crates and wooden pallets that things were shipped on. Um, the larvae were in the woods, so that's how they got here. And I remember speaking to Dr. Coyle over the summer, and uh, one of the ways that uh, you can kind of prevent it being transferred is firewood, right? And uh, I was really bad about when we go camping, 
you know, we'd bring some firewood with us. And if we didn't burn it all, I'd bring it back home and just keep carrying it around. And that's not a good thing to do, especially over state lines. And there's actually a website as well, don'tmovefirewood.org. So, wow, that's that's a good resource for a number of reasons. But, yeah, glad Stephen asked about that. Now, going back to the Bradford pairs that we talked about uh, with David Coyle, they have just really, really become very unpopular, um, very unflattering. They're painted in a very unflattering light for a number of reasons. Uh, people can smell them when they're in bloom. They are one of the prettiest trees with big, fluffy white blooms in the spring, though, I will say. And they tower over a lot of uh, homes. But when it comes to storms and all of that, the branches just aren't very sturdy. They do split and break a lot, cause some damage. Um, so Walter Reeves put out an article on his website years ago and still very, very relevant on WalterReeves.com, good alternatives for the Bradford pear. And, you know, there in South Carolina, they have the bounty program where folks can show that they've cut down or removed Bradford pears from their landscape. And uh, the groups in South Carolina giving them native trees to replace those Bradford pears. Georgia's no different in that we would love, you know, to promote natives and things like that. So Walter's got this list, alternatives for the Bradford pear, red buckeye. That's going to be a pretty good one. It can grow 10 to 20 feet tall. Um, so it's great to attract hummingbirds when it flowers. Uh, serviceberry, that is a large shrub or a small tree, very showy in the fall, really good fall color. It's got everything you want. It's got white flowers in the early spring as well, and the uh, edible berries as well. American hornbeam, I don't know as much about that one. A red bud, um, one of my favorites is the eastern red bud. A fringe tree. Uh, fringe trees are so much fun. Good yellow fall color as well. I feel like we talked to Seth Hawkins with the Georgia Forestry Commission about a lot of these trees that we're talking about because of their fall color and spring blooms. I mean, you just can't go wrong when they have year-round interest. Dogwoods, of course, native here um, throughout Missouri as well. Natives are, are uh, dogwoods are a favorite in Missouri. The American smoke tree. Now, that's a cool one, too. That could be a small tree or a shrub as well, just billowy hairs that turn like a smoky pink or purplish pink in the summer. It really looks kind of hazy, and then with the motion of some wind, an American smoke tree is pretty good. Uh, Black gum, there's a lot. There's a lot of good alternatives to Bradford pears, which I may very well uh, share that on the Green and Growing Facebook page. So I had someone call in last week and ask, you know, where are some of my resources? Uh, Do I share show notes or you know, interviews or things I do with folks. And uh, though I don't have a website, I don't have the time to maintain a website. uh, The Facebook page is the best way to find me, share stuff with me, get in touch with me, or even ask questions um, aside from a Saturday morning. So on Facebook, just search Green and Growing WSB and like or follow the page. Uh, I do like getting messages from folks. I'm a one-man band, though. I I answer everything myself. So uh, I try to take the rest of my Saturday afternoons off. So if you send something today, you may not get an answer today. But I do get back to everyone's question. And that's especially a good way to share pictures with me. Um, Sometimes it's really hard to describe things over the radio. Uh, So a picture is worth a thousand words. And I recently helped somebody who called the show months ago and had these really large azaleas flanking his front door um, in garden beds that were right beside the front door. And they started yellowing, and he just couldn't figure out what was going on with them. And then they had some small boxwoods in front of them. On the air, you know, I was like, well, I don't know. Depends. I mean, it could be it could be bugs. It could be too much water, uh, not enough sun. I don't know. I mean, leaves yellow for a lot of reasons, and, and sometimes it's perfectly natural for 
shrubs and some of our houseplants to have yellowing leaves and they drop. But once he sent me a picture, holy cow, that told the story. Because there I could spot the, the one on the right side of the front porch was yellowing more quickly than the left. There was a downspout coming from the gutter. And the downspout was coming out and pointed right at the base of the azalea. So that was it. It was staying too wet uh, in way too much water, not drying out. And then with the lower boxwoods planted in front of it, that really made for, you know, conditions to where it just didn't get a lot of airflow, air circulation, and the soil stayed wet. So um, he was really a good steward of, of my advice and removed the boxwoods and starting to think about, okay, well, now let's try to, you know, A, redirect the downspout, but B, kind of re- reviving the azaleas, make sure they survive. So, um taking them back, you know, reducing the size a little bit so that they can grow a little more full and they're going to be energized to really put on more growth in the spring. So when you think about something like that, a shrub that's that large, whether it's a camellia or a lower pedlum, uh, you know, Chinese fringe or an azalea or something like that, you never, you want to make sure you prune at the right time of year, eh? especially if it's a flowering shrub, because as soon as they lose their flowers in summer, they start to put on buds for the next year. So this late in the year, if you start to prune something that flowers like that, like a hydrangea, azalea, gardenia, rhododendron, um, you're going to cut off the buds and you'll see them. I mean, you'll see that the plant has buds that are just going to sit there for a couple of months and wait to open in the spring. So knowing when the right time to remove those is, but also just when you want to reduce something size, never cutting more than one third of the shrub at a time. You don't want to take it back from, you know, six feet down to a foot or two tall. That's just going to be too much at one time and kind of stress the plant out. So I told him to be mindful of that. You know, it's it's definitely in stages that you have to do uh, a large reduction in size like that. And fertilizer is always a great idea to have on hand. Uh, sometimes you can make a bag last for a couple of seasons when you're ju- judicious about how you fertilize uh, the flowering shrubs and fertilizing them when they're in active growth. 404-872-0750 is the number to get through to Green and Growing. And here just a little bit ago, we had Robert from Tucker call about creeping cedar. Um, and he was telling Ann, our phone screener, just wanted to know what it was, what's what's the skinny on the plant. Um, so, Robert, if you're still listening, I am not a fan of creeping cedar, also known as creeping juniper. Um, a lot of you have probably seen that. It's a pretty popular ground cover, a low-growing shrub used on rocky slopes where other things don't survive. Builders used to use it a lot in the 90s to prevent soil erosion uh, in landscapes that you're, you know, were at a slope. Pretty drought-tolerant, enjoys a lot of sun. Um, it's evergreen. It doesn't flower or anything like that, but I have it in my front yard, and I hate it. I hate creeping juniper, creeping cedar. Um, I'm sure it serves some wonderful purposes. Um, I mean, it's evergreen and it looks nice and it can prevent erosion. That's great. Um, And it's pretty drought tolerant as well. But I have so many more preferences for good ground covers uh, other than that. But, you know, it's like fun for the little squirrels and chipmunks and stuff to hide in as well. So, yeah, maybe it does provide some benefits. But that is the lowdown on that. Creeping cedar, creeping juniper, all the same thing. Thanks for the call, Robert. 404-872-0750. Call with your garden questions. We've got another hour to go. And even your Christmas traditions, I want to hear them, please. 404-872-0750. It's Green and Growing. We'll be back on WSB. Music 
It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Good morning. Really glad you are here this morning listening to Green and Growing. And boy, are you in store for a treat after 9 o'clock. I mean, if you keep listening to Dave Baker and the Home Fix-It Show from 9 to noon, this guy goes way back for uh, for music. I'm going to listen. I'm just telling you, Dave. I know I, I can't hear you. But yeah, oh, I'm listening. I, I'm definitely listening to the Home Fix-It Show with Dave Baker, as I have for years. I mean, the man's been around for like 30 years since I was a kid. He's been on the radio so long. Uh, 404-872-0750. Enough of that. You'll you'll have Dave coming up in just over an hour. I, right now on the phone, have our friend Mickey Gazaway from Pike Nursery. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Ashley. So I love that I piqued your interest this morning, Mickey, you know, asking folks for their Christmas traditions. And you've got a couple, and I, I re- recall one from a few years ago, but share those with us. Well, the number one was I remember we would go out and cut down our own Christmas tree. And um, the trees, we called them cedar trees. They really weren't cedar trees. This was something we cut down on our old family farm down in Monroe County. And um, the uh, the cedar trees were, they were really uh, junipers. Okay. Junipers, Virginia, it's what we call red cedars now. And we would cut them down. And that was our Christmas tree. And I loved them. You know, oh. that was fun. <laughs> they didn't last very long, though, I have to say. Yeah, but still. About a week before Christmas. Yeah, what a fun thing to do with the family. Yes, it was. And, and I, the other thing, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I started off the show talking about birds and how we can, you know, kind of help our feathered friends this time of year, and I love this. You're going to inspire people to do this very thing. Well, I don't know if I will or not, but <laughs> my mommy used to make her our own suet yeah. for our birds. And she would go to the the neighborhood um, grocery store, and they would have a meat uh, a butcher there or a meat guy, and he would give her beef fat, and she would cook it. She would call it rendering. I don't know. She rendered the beef fat. She would cook it down, and then she would add peanut butter to it and cornmeal and, and peanuts. And that's something else, but I can't remember what it was. But then she would make it in little cakes. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do it a couple of times, and... It was fun to do, but it makes the biggest mess of everything. <laughs> I had grease from one end of the kitchen to the other. And, and plus, if it gets warm, it kind of melts. So it's easier to buy it, but it sure is fun to make it. A yeah, 100%. Right now, with the temperatures in the 70s today and maybe the high 50s tomorrow, Sue, it's not a great idea. But in the cold, maybe cold months, <laughs> yes, when it gets a lot colder. And on WalterReeves.com, he's got a great recipe for suet as well, in case you just missed the ingredients Mickey had oh, there. Yeah. Well, Was hey. Merry, Merry Christmas to you and the huge family, the Gasaway family. I love all of them very, very much. You've got the coolest family out there, Mickey, and I'm so glad you called. Thank you so much. Y'all have a great Christmas, too. Love oh, you. Love you, too. And if you want to meet Mickey Gasaway, she is a superstar. She works at the West Cobb Pike Nursery there on Barrett Parkway. And speaking of Pike Nursery, it's just 30 minutes Uh, Before we are going to have Jackson Grimsley from Pike Nursery call and talk to us about living Christmas trees. And you just heard Mickey talk about, you know, a juniper cutting down real live Christmas trees as a family tradition. Well, living Christmas trees is something that may be a great gift idea, something that you're going to want to do and be able to keep alive and enjoy.
enjoy for years to come. So Pike Nursery, just after 8.30 this morning, your calls and Christmas traditions. We're going to keep on with that. 404-872-0750. Wesley and Marietta as well has a question about junipers. And Susan has a wonderful Christmas tradition. I commend her for that. You're going to want to hear her generosity next. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.